everyone, and welcome back to another episode of These Are the Voyages. I'm the captain, Captain Chase McKinney, and joining me once again for this here discussion, exploration of ideas and strange new episodes, my dear friend, Lieutenant Commander Eric. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm doing excellent. 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 Be excellent to each other, man. That's right. Wise words of Bill and Ted, I'm just saying. Just saying. I feel very lifted today. Ooh. Man, look at you, Mr. <laughs> Thesaurus. Come on now. Bring it. Let's go, somebody. You know, my tree has grown. Oh, my. Its roots have spread. Ooh. This is either intriguing or dirty, maybe a little bit of both. I'm not sure. <laughs> do I want to ask why you're feeling so lifted, or or do I need to potentially like bleep a bunch of stuff out here in a second? Listen, there's a, there's a <laughs> saying on on my home planet: "Let the tree that grows from the roots of sacrifice lift us where suffering cannot reach." That's the longest saying, like, ever. Possibly. <laughs> My goodness. Like, who can just remember that right off the top of their head? I had to write it down. There's there's a, there's a number of really long episode titles out there in the Star Trek fandom. We were just talking about which one belonged on a Panic! at the Disco album, I'm just saying. Well, I'm glad that your roots are going deep and uh, that you're being lifted to where suffering cannot reach you, my friend. Um, it's been, it, ha- it hasn't been too long since we, we last, um, you know, met in the little little observation lounge and talked about some stuffy stuff. No, it hasn't been that long. <laughs> We're pulling back the curtain, Eric. We're pulling back the curtain. Here we go. Here we go. Man, man, oh, man. Well, it's good to see you again. Uh, good to be talking Trek with you again. Do you have any um, plans uh, for um, you know the next uh, you know couple days or a week or so coming up that you're looking forward to? Uh, even though like some of the early reviews say it's terrible, I think I'm going to go see the Jurassic Park. Okay. Yeah, the, okay. the Jurassic World, right? Yeah, yeah. I know, like yeah. I don't know if you've seen like some of the early reviews. They they sound so they says the movie's really bad. Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes, um, according to the critics, they're giving it like a thirty-seven percent, like the last I checked. But Yikes. we know, like most of the time, the critics seem to get it like way off from the audience experience. And I I've, think I think I think the critics are more right than the audience are normally. Really? Okay. Right, because the audience, you've got those those polarizing audience, right? The two polar opposites. The people who love it and the people who hate it. Right? Sure. There's, the people that go on Rotten Tomatoes are not the people in the middle. Okay, okay. At least I don't think so. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I think Rotten Tomatoes, like, especially with, uh, what was it, Captain Marvel, I think, that they kind of had to... Uh, was it was it Captain Marvel? It was either Captain Marvel or Rise of Skywalker. I can't remember, but it was like one of the, those more recent films that they had to like change how the rating system was done because people were just going in and review bombing for the sake of review bombing. 
Yeah, well, the people that are going to review bomb that those movies, like you're never going to make them happy. Of course not. Of course not. They just they just love being miserable. Those people. Mm. They they're watching something just to make sure that they still hate it, type of thing. That's true. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I gotta see it. I mean, I'll we'll eventually see um, you know the final Jurassic World movie. Um, whether it's in theaters or it's on stream or physical media, I don't know. Um, having kids, man, sometimes it can, you know, screw up those plans. Unless it's Top Gun Maverick, then that's a different story. <laughs> Which I, I think I already told you, I've already seen it twice in theaters, and it was it was darn good. You did, you did say that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, I mean, I'm interested to see, you know, the like some of the original cast members coming back from the Park franchise, you know, and... Um, you know, seeing, uh, was it Sam, not Sam Elliott, um, Sam, uh, Neil? Sam Neil. Sam Neil, yeah. Sam Neil, Laura Dern, uh, Jeff Goldblum. Like, that'll be, that'll be cool to see them again. Um, now, how big or small of a part they have, I guess that remains to be seen. I hope that they're not just, you know, window dressing. Like, a lot of, it seems like recently, like, a lot of legacy characters are just being treated as, like, window dressing for the most part. I don't know. You think so? I mean, I mean, I feel like I feel like uh, the most recent like legacy sequel I've seen is Scream Five, or just Scream. Um, and I don't think any of the legacy characters were just window dressing. Hmm. I haven't seen it yet, so I, I can't say one oh, or the you other. Haven't seen it yet? No, I want to so bad, dude. I did it's read. Just announced that Nev Campbell is not yeah. coming back for Scream 6, which is like... Okay. How can you have a Scream movie without Nev Campbell, though? Well, well, I mean, like, they had Star Wars movies without, like, Luke Skywalker. But, like, Sydney, man. Sydney. Well, it's time to, like, pass the torch. So, so are they just going to, like, kill her off screen or something? Well, I don't know. Like, she could just be, like, F it, I'm not coming back to Woodsboro. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, right? I mean, that's true. That's, that's certainly true. Like, forget you guys. I, I'm sick and tired of being constantly attacked and stabby stabbed and conspired I mean, how against. How many times has Sydney been stabbed? I feel like she gets away with not being stabbed. I mean, the first one, she kind of got stabbed. Oh, in the f- I, in the fourth one, I feel like she got stabbed the most. Okay. Spoilers, to everyone. So? Sorry, this is. Hey, a- don't you think so? Yeah. Fourth. Yeah. 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 The first, first, and the fourth one. The second and the third. It was just like meh. I mean, they're good, but it was just like meh. So. Anyway, well, Eric, unfortunately, the horror, the horror movie review podcast. Welcome, coming twenty twenty seven. Well, yeah, the spooky, <laughs> the spooky town podcast, patent pending. I don't know. You can follow us at Spooky Pod on all the things. <laughs> oh man, how many? How many have we like drummed up? Like we've just like drummed up so many on the fly. I can't keep them straight anymore. Yeah, We're gonna have like a podcasting I, I empire. I'm yeah. kidding. We're not. We, no, I ain't got time for that. We're all going to quit our jobs and just become full-time podcasters. Why not? I don't need to teach, right? 
You don't need to teach. Nope. Nope. David doesn't we need can, to play with anyone's we can money. Become, we can become kept men. Kevin Federline. Ooh. Just send that the wives out to work, right? Oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> oh, Eric, Eric, Eric. Speaking of which, <laughs> David is not able to join us today. David is out. Um, he, you know, y'all, y'all exchange. Like, I swear, like, I, I wanted David to look into what's going on with Shuttlepod 14. And, you know, in, in his infinite wisdom, he decided to check it out and take it for a test drive. And guess what? Now he's stuck in Shuttlepod 14. Yeah, but the thing is, I drank all the whiskey last week, so if he gets cold and needs it, it's not there for him. Unless he brought his own. He probably did, knowing knowing him. Because, you know, the one stuff that he stashed, I, I drank it all. Dad, gum, dude. Like, come on now. I guess he's just stuck with mashed potatoes or something. He can write his love letters, right? <laughs> his goodbye letters to the different different oh. people in his life. Yes, yes he can. Yes he can. All right, Eric. All right. Well, let's let's keep on trucking, I guess. You know, poor David stuck in that shuttle pod. Sorry, David. We'll uh, we'll hear from him um, a little bit later in the show with some of his thoughts um, about this particular episode. I swear, David and Eric are just switching. They're like, "Do you do you got, do you want to be with, with Chase this week?" No, not really. Okay, then I'll I'll take one for the team. You can just take this week off. I, mean, I swear that's that's what's going on. Anyway, <laughs> Eric, let's talk Trek. All right, everyone. If this is your uh, first time listening, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are going into spoilerific territory. As we talk about Star Trek Strange New World Season 1, Episode 6, Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. Try saying that 10 times fast. <laughs> Literally, try saying it 10 times fast. Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. No, it's not going to happen. I didn't even get there, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. The first time I saw that, I had to read it like three times before I even like got it right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wait. What? What's the title? Yeah. Okay, so full disclosure, before we even start, I was so apprehensive about watching it just because of the title. Okay. And the reason is, I think I was having some kind of, like, re- like reaction to, like, the early Discovery days of, like, the really, like, mile-long episode titles. And... <laughs> I was like, oh, no, 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 don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that to Strange New Worlds, man. Don't do it. So, like, just seeing, like, a really long title, I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six words long, I was, I was just a little, like, uneasy about going into it, but you'll hear my thoughts as we go along. I don't know. Did you have, like, any, anything like that going into this, Eric, or or am I just alone in this? No, I just, I didn't have any, uh, the title is the title. Oftentimes, you know, yeah, I like to make fun of the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry or whatever. <laughs> but like, for, for the world is hollow and I have touched the sky. <laughs> but like, for the most part, the title is the title. You know, it doesn't doesn't really mean all that much one way or the other. Mm. Okay. Although I always right. like the Latin titles. Oh yeah. Yeah. What, the Latin what about the titles? What about the Klingon titles? The 
Klingon titles. Yeah. Where's Dush? That's... Was that Klingon or was that Vulcan? Where's Dush? I could have swore it was... It was Klingon. Is it? Okay. Right. I could have swore it was. Okay. Right. I don't know. My, tr- my Trekkie card might be uh, might be confiscated. I don't know. Or like looking for Parmak in all the wrong places. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Eric, guess what? Yeah. We have a new episode, and guess what happens? Captain's log. Captain's log. <laughs> we get us a captain's log, baby. We don't get it. We don't get a freaking personal log. We don't get a chief medical officer's log. We don't get any of that stuff. We get a captain's log, baby. No, but I love this. He's like, yeah, we're going to someplace. I was here ten years ago for a rescue mission. Uh, we're here for a routine, like, cartography thing. It's not going to be interesting. Nothing's going to happen. It should ex- be relatively easy. <laughs> I like, expect those are, it like, to be the a dreaded lot words. quieter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's like saying, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, like, we have, we have Pike, who's... You know, giving his captain's log, and he's saying we're in like a familiar part of, part of the universe or whatever that I was here. You know, once upon a time, and immediately after that, then we're also um, you know running into um, Uhura, who is also running into Captain Pike, by the way, um, and she is on some sort of tactical security rotation under. The uh, the ever capable hands and supervision of of um, Laan Nunyan Singh and uh, Pike is like warning her about like Jillian Tiger gives no warning for pouncing or something like that. What was that? <laughs> right, lesson number one. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and you got you got to watch out for uh, you got to keep an eye out for lesson seven for crying out loud. Did we ever hear what lesson seven was, or is this like we Gibbs did. rules we, and we it's did. gonna? Yeah, no, there is. They they did tell us what lesson seven. I think they skipped like four, five, and six, and said, "Here's lesson seven. Freaking, th- I swear this is gonna be like Gibbs rules. You know, when it's all <laughs> said and done. Well, you know, here's the thing about Gibbs rules. When Ziva first shows up, Gibbs says there's fifty rules, right? And then there's an episode, I think, at the end of season seven or season eight that is literally titled Rule 51. But then in, like, season 17, there's an episode titled Rule 92. <laughs> so it's like, apparently he added, in 10 years, he added some, 15 years, he added some rules. Oh, oh that's, oh, that's right, that's right. Um, and I just I just double checked. Yeah, lesson seven, by the way, was leave no stone unturned. So there we go. Yeah, I don't know if that's like the big one to watch out for, though. That seems like a minor one, doesn't it? Uh, no, I mean we're all. I about... mean it's it's a, it's a good pearl of wisdom, but it doesn't seem like watch out for rule seven, leave no stone unturned. You know, I expected <laughs> it to be bigger. Size matters not. <laughs> Judge me by my size, huh? <laughs> what in the world? 
Welcome to the Star Trek Podcast, where we talk about everything but Star Trek. (laughs) 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 Okay, well, Eric, we... We're doing all this stuff. We're we're running into people. We're learning about you know lesson number seven. We end up on the bridge. There's a little grumpy cat, little little um, interaction that happens. You know, Lieutenant Grumpy Cat. It's fine. Um, hope you enjoyed your sleep. You know that sort of thing. Your rest. There is no rest with with security. What 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 what? Okay, whatever. Because um, threats on, never rest. Yeah, of course. Because like there's not a rotation of you know other security personnel, of course. Um, and then we, we look out and there's like this, uh, what, like ostensibly like dinky little ship that's like just shooting pew-pews at the Enterprise trying to get something else. And we just, we're trying to grab it and trying to figure out what's going on. And it's like we're playing like a, like we're playing tug-of-war. It's like a, like a freaking Mr. Universe is playing tug-of-war with a child um, in the grand scheme of things. And it's just it's hilarious to watch but Eric I don't think that this is the time when you should have a non-tactical trained cadet trying to do like precision shooting on another spacecraft I'm just saying I don't I don't think you should well I I, I this might be the right time because like when this ship shoots at you it says Captain Pike's like damage like minimal like only 0.02% effect on the shields so like this might be the time when you want your cadet to like take the tactical because you're not really in a dangerous situation you're not in the danger zone danger zone (laughs) (laughs) we're not going to the highway to the danger zone But if they shoot me, will it take my breath away? <laughs> <laughs> Only if you play with the boys. Ooh, that sounds very enterprising of you, my friend. <laughs> okay, okay, so okay. We, gotta stop. we gotta stop this. <laughs> what is going on? So Uhura, our very, very prodigious... Can I say that? I'm gonna say it. Our very prodigious um, cadet who knows 37 languages presses the wrong button and there's some major shoosting that happens and almost done blows up completely this other ship. Well, it's the other ship moved right when she right. was trying to fire and she didn't, like, retarget. Oh, And, yeah, right. she almost blew up the other ship. Yep. Would that have been considered an act of war? I'm just wondering. Well, they fired first. Hmm. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. And uh, anyway, so in this skirmish, there's like people that we have to like try and rescue. So we beam them aboard. And uh, anyway, Pike and Uhura are, or not Pike and Uhura, Pike and number one, I'm, I'm sorry, Una, not Uhura, um, go to the transporter and things kind of get awkward kind of fast for Pike because he sees an old flame right there on the transporter pad thinking that potentially thinking he's still a lieutenant no he's captain pike now captain captain that's, mon why, capitaine. that's, why, I'm wearing, that's why i'm wearing gold <laughs> and the command <laughs> command it's not and yellow it's gold 
<laughs> and after five minutes of all this that's happened, roll credits. So we have we have some um, some stuff that is is being laid out. So we have we have this this lady. Um, again, um, I think it was um, what Alora. That sounds right. Alora. Yep. Yeah. Um, which for some reason I kept thinking of Malora Hardin, as in Jan from you know the Office, and um, no. There, well, there was a mal- episode titled Malora yeah. in D Space Nine. That was the uh, the gravity alien, right? The, yeah, the gravity alien. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so I just kept thinking of, of Jan. I just kept going back to the office for whatever reason. Anyway, um, so they're reconnecting, playing playing catch up of sorts. But then there's also um, this this physician of sorts with this young child, um, kind of like an apparent kind of role but we later find out he's more of like a protector of well he is his bi- he is the biological <clears throat> father <clears throat> of of uh, what's called the first servant which we we need to definitely unpack um, as this goes on um, but they they've they have no illness they have no sickness we we come to find out on this idyllic um, planet um, and that is something that is very appealing, uh, certainly to Mbenga, especially with what we found out about his daughter not too long ago, that they have technology um, and resources and stuff to prevent things from happening, from, from illness and other life-threatening things from, from really taking hold. And that is very, very appealing, very attractive to Mbenga, uh, which is kind of his motivation for really partnering with this particular doctor um, throughout this entire episode. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and, and so with with this stuff, like with it kind of like starting to split here where we have um, we have the first servant and his dad and Mbenga over here on the side. We have Pike and Alora over here on the other side. And then we kind of have like the La'an and Uhura thing kind of going on very briefly in this episode. Uh, where do you where would you like to start first in terms of kind of picking it apart? Well, I think I think if we if we start with like the A line here, like the first servant, it was chosen by like a random lottery, like a child to like to be essentially like the leader of this world that we're saying like, and the the motto of this idyllic planet is what was it? It's a, Service, science, sacrifice. Yeah. Hopefully I get that order right. Science, service, sacrifice. Science, service, sacrifice. Okay. Yeah. And he's, like, going to ascend to the throne and, and, you know, in this sacred ceremony, and it's just two days away. And so, like, one thing I, I, I guess I wasn't sure, like, this kid is, like, a genius, right? He's some, like, super genius and... And we, we hear it through all of his interactions. It was like, but this was like a random lottery that they said to for the whole planet wide to choose the first servant. So like, are all children on this planet prodigies, or did the random lottery just happen to choose this one kid who was like a super genius? Or after he was chosen, did they do some kind of medical technology to turn him into like 
some super genius. I don't I don't know if that was I, I don't I don't know if the episode explained that. I don't personally I don't think it's a lottery at all. I mean I know they said it was. I just think it's like, no, we're picking him and we're going to say it was a lottery. You know what I'm saying? Okay, that 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 would make sense. Um, just to make it seem like it truly is an honor rather than what it ends up being in the end, right? Um, and we, I think in a way what we're seeing, you know, with this um, this maxim that they're describing, like with the, the science, the service, and the sacrifice, I think we're seeing that uh, that come through in, in the interactions that he's having um, both on the ship and even briefly on um, Majalis, uh, the planet where this is all, all taking place, this idyllic planet. Um, you, you really see his understanding of science and his willingness to serve others, but like the sacrifice part's like, what? 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 What's that even mean? And it, it, there, there's definitely, you know, a, the, the fruition of that, like that, that we really see in the very end. And um, I know I'm like teasing that like crazy, but it's the end for crying out loud. Yeah, but anyway, uh, you know, we have to go investigate this ship, right, that attacked us. It's Starfleet policy that says, hey, they attacked us. We have to figure out why. We have to go investigate. And uh, there's nothing you can do to stop us. We're, we're, we're doing it. That's right. And this Alora says, well, you know, I think this ship was from some alien colony nearby. <laughs> can you do that voice again, Eric? <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Come on, man. The voices make it better. Every good storyteller has a good voice. Coming with you, whether you like it or not. There's <laughs> nothing you can do to stop me. Oh, really? I'm the captain of this ship. You think you can transport down to the surface? Like, if I say you can't, right, he could easily stop her. Right, right. And of course, the on is like, hey, by the way, we should send a landing party to investigate what's going on. Yep. Which, that's using your noggin. Good job, on. Good job, Grumpy Cat. Yep. So, so we, uh, along the way, if I'm, as long as I'm not missing something, w one thing that we, I think, find is this coin, like this challenge coin of sorts that is um, possessed by people that are in service to, um, you know, like the, the leadership, the, the government, the whatever of, of, um, Really? Yeah, they're basically like the like the elite guard or something. Yeah. Of the first servant. Okay, so yeah, but we see we see like these like slashes or something through this this challenge coin thing that was in possession of a guard. We get down there, and she's all like, "All right, like you need to you know renew your loyalty or whatever." you know, present your coins type of thing. We get to the last person. It's like, where's your coin? What happened to your coin? Oh, it's of no consequence. Don't worry about it, man. It's totally fine. And then zip, I'm out of here. Um, dude. Okay. I was trying so hard not to laugh at times when it came to some of this stuff. Like every time I saw, 
every time I saw the guard, dude, every time, I kept thinking, Jaffa, Crete. Like, they had, like, the stabs. <laughs> Look, they had the stabs. They did, like, little laser shooty things. Like, you could stab him, stab him. You could <laughs> knock him out with it. And, like, they even got, like, the little toga, like, whatever. Th- I don't know what they were they were wearing. But, like, they had, like, the something or others that looked like the Jaffa from Stargate. I'm like, okay, Jaffa, Crete, here we go. We, okay, okay, we have we have some Jaffa sticks, like 2.0. Let's go, baby. 3.0 in this case. Let's go, baby. You didn't you didn't see that? You were <laughs> no, oh, no, I did. Okay, all right. I guess I'm on my own. That's fine. That's fine. It's fine. Um, no, but, but there's this chase that like. It's a little long, but whatever. We, we eventually we track this guy down, and he's like, "We're like, why were you on that ship?" And he's like, "To fulfill my oath and renounce everything this hellhole stands for." Mm. And then like, "Long live the first." And then he says, "Long live the first servant." And you're thinking to yourself, "This is some like idyllic paradise," and he's calling it a hellhole, like. What does that mean? Like, what? Like, what's going on here? Yeah, I would. I mean, I'm probably getting ahead, but like, I do kind of wish they would have like explored that maybe a little bit more. Like, of course, we have like another territory that's kind of in play, and we kind of see more about like how the idyllic stuff is kind of a thing, but. Yeah, like, could we get, like, a little bit more about, like, why this is an idyllic hellhole for some folks? I don't know. Like, of course, like, we only have, like, 45, 50 minutes of, like, a singular story, but... So it's fine. Like, it's fine. But, um... But, yeah, like, this chase happens, and... Uh, we we catch the dude, and... Um... and And that's pretty much it. Like, Pike gets involved, like, he draws a freaking phaser on the dude. Uh, to, to like get him to like stop in his tracks and like talk and like that's that's ultimately what we get um, so yeah um, where was I? I don't even know where I was um, what happens after let's, if we just follow that line now Pike has some sexy time with this lady <laughs> Yeah, and his hair is just, like, perfect. His hair, oh, my God, like, his hair is so poofy in this episode. (laughs) His poof has gotten bigger over these six episodes, hasn't it? That's true, yeah. Like, I I don't, I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't going to bring that up, but, like, did you, it's poofier, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. He was like, there was some poof. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, grav, like, anti-gravity is really helping that thing out. I'm just saying, man. Goodness. Goodness. Yeah. It was like, like, I wonder if his hair has a stunt double. That's what I want to know. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) Like, we need to check the credits sometime. Captain Pike's hair, stunt double. (laughs) Stand in, whatever. Okay. Well, well I, I know, I know. Hold on, that's just a funny story. I know you're probably not a tennis fan, but um, 
there there's a player. I guess he's still around. I don't know how how good he is anymore. Uh, he is a Canadian player named Milos Raonic, and he had like this perfectly coiffed hair, and like he would play tennis and his hair wouldn't move, and it like <laughs> it remained perfect. <laughs> and it was like one of the things that he was known for. And at one point, his hair had its own Twitter account. It was like Milos Raonic's hair. <laughs> <laughs> like somebody made a Twitter account for his hair. Eric, Eric, I just had a, an idea. Your twiddle, you know what your twiddle, twiddle, your Twitter, <laughs> you know what your twiddle, sh- <laughs> your Twitter handle should be? Captain at at Captain Pike's hair. At Captain Pike's hair. I thought you were gonna say Eric's hair, like ironically. No, no. Captain Pike's hair. Okay. See what happens. Uh-huh. You could get like one heck of a following, man. <laughs> Probably could. <laughs> Probably get like a little blue check verified, man. Like public oh, figure. Oh, I could get the blue check. Blue check. Let's go. Mm. Okay, I know what I'm doing. Keep talking while I I not go to Twitter. Okay. Anyway, anyways, um, <laughs> so I guess two things from the ship, right? We kind of glossed over Spike. Spike. <laughs> Spike finds Spock finds this like piece of technology that like doesn't really belong on the ship. And Laon like steals some of like the some d- data banks, I guess, uh, for lack of a better term. And Laon's like, I can't run this through the computer, so I need a linguist. Uhura, here you go. Translate mm. all of these for me. Figure out what they say. Right, and with the little headpiece of sorts, you know, Spock is there in. Um, in sick bay, you know, and kind of like talking to, um, I think it's Gamal, um, is the yeah, scientist. Elder, Elder Gamal. Yeah. And uh, the first servant. I'm like, hey, do you know what this is? And um, thinking that it's it's meant to, um, you know, maybe harm, maybe to inhibit something with this, this kiddo, this this young boy who's the first servant. Um, and, and, you know, like maybe it's like an assassination type of attempt or, or something. Like we're trying to make sense of like what this piece of tech does, um, knowing that it is some kind of headpiece um, that's meant to be worn or, or placed on his face or something. Um, and as we find out, even with um, Uhura, as she like is looking at like these different um, data bank, these little you know cards, these things you know that were that were um, acquired by Laan. There's different languages there's different um, dialects and syntax and other stuff that she was able to uncover um, that belongs to essentially a settlement of this planet um, like what I believe is like considered um, like like a like a penal colony or something is that right well I think it, there's just uh, like the language it has the same roots as the language of this main pl- this idyllic planet we're at and like right. there's no way that would be possible unless at some point they were one they were one together one co- one planet right. one race 
And so they, they, I guess they just, they figure out that people decided to leave this paradise, this idyllic planet, to go live on some place that's like barely habitable. And they're like, why would anyone want to leave paradise to go live in this harsh conditions? Right. Right. And through all this, remember, we're like this, this child, the first servant is supposed to be doing this thing called the, like an ascension here in a day and a half, two days time, depending on where we are in the episode. And we're, we need to be protecting this child at all costs um, to make sure that they get to the, the ceremony. Well, there's two different types of protection that we see kind of going on. We see like the, you know, like the official government uh, representatives um, that are trying to, you know, forcibly take him for the most part um, to get him away from his father. Um, who's trying to protect him in a different way, which we start to uncover in a way. Um, and there's this um, this idea that we need to uh, return to the planet. And the father's like, no, 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 no not going to happen. He needs to stay with me. And, you know, Chief Kyle, I hope I'm not getting too far ahead, but like Chief Kyle is like trying to um, like ascertain what's going on and Pike is there in the transporter room along with Alora and boom like they just kind of disappear off the transporter but they're there Kyle isn't messing with any of the, the buttons or the dials or the knobs or anything like that and there's just like a random transport that happens which okay I'm going to sound really dumb for a second so just give me a little bit of mercy on this one but I know the shields were down like, I know they were down. And I know that in theory, like, by the laws of Star Trek, that you can beam someone when shields are down. But isn't there, like, some kind of safeguard in place that you, like, that you can't beam them from, like, the the transporter pad or something um, without, like, authorization? Like, isn't there some kind of, like, safety net? I could have swore there, well, there was, I like, mean, something built in. we've seen people beamed away against their will before. I, I just, I was, I mean, I guess it's just weird for me and, to, and, to and, it's just weird then, for me to see, like, in the the actual transporter room on the transporter pad. on the transporter, but they're not, yeah. like, on the bridge or in their quarters right. where they get randomly transported away. Right. But, I mean, I think the episode gives an explanation for that, like... Their their whole bi they, you know they needed their bio signatures to like be able to lock on to them, mm-hmm. right? And and those were just given like this elder Kamal we learned had just before he left sickbay had just done a full body scan of each of them and put them put them into like the computer so that way they could be locked on. Mm-hmm. So for like all of like what maybe five seconds basically like both their patterns go away like they're they're both like beamed away essentially but the only one that comes back is elder gamal and we're like where's the boy where's the first servant where'd he go and then we see like this we see the ship that he's you know being transported to just blow up so we're like oh shoot we done messed up a ron yeah we got a little a little tug of war again right yeah 
And then, yeah, the ship with him just blows up. Yeah, because we have a tractor beam on them on the sh- on the ship, <laughs> and the ship's trying to go to warp while they're in a tractor beam. And like, I think we like start to like let off, and it's like I'm gonna I want to go fast, so we're gonna go fast. And like they they press the warp button and go kaboom. And so we we now think that the first servant is dead, and turns out using science, he's not. So we, we're, we're using science, we're tracking him, and he's in like a little storage container down some random hallway on the Enterprise, and that's cool. Um, and I can't remember the exact term um, that he was talking about like with Spock earlier on in, in sickbay, but it, it was like something like radio something. Um, yeah, he, he was trying to build like radio... Yeah, I forget the phrase. Uh, there we go. Do you know the speed of propagation of subspace radio signals in a long-range t- communication? Uh, I believe it's roughly 52,000 times the speed of light. Wow, that's super slow. No wonder you have to use subspace relays. <laughs> so, yeah, like he's using um, like some kind of of some some kind of technology that's that's allowing him to essentially transport himself and move to where he wants to be outside the confines of like a transporter's like basically how I understood it for the most part. Oh, oh that's not how I understood it at all. I understood it that like the elder Kamal later on, like the elder Kamal beamed him to this plate to this storage bin trying to hide him. Is that what it was? And like, but with without knowing that he created this like little subspace beacon thing to communicate. That's the impression I got. Okay. Like Elder, well, like well, we later on learned that Elder Kamal, like, doesn't want the boy to go through, you know, to ascend. And so I thought he was just trying to hide him. So and that and like that's and that's what bo- that box. The boy just kind of yeah, that's what he, why he was in the box, but the boy had this technology thing that the el- the elder wasn't aware of. Right. Yeah. He's holding like this, this you know light up box thing. Like it's a freaking like light bright that he's holding onto, um, to help, you know, give him like a signal boost or transport magic thing. Um, yeah, as we're we're putting the pieces together, um, you know, we're we're getting to the point where um, Uhura, who's like been taking a look at some of this stuff, she's getting like, I think we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but that's okay. She's realizing that strange things are afoot at the Circle K, and we need to talk to the captain about this. And things are not as they seem with this idyllic planet. Um, and Lamor and um, Alora, um, with with everything like surrounding this first servant in this ascension ceremony. Um, but before we can really do anything about like trying to prevent the boy from going down there, um, he's like essentially whisked away. Like he does make it back down to the planet, and he wants Pike to be, or Pike ends up going down anyway. But the rest of the crew, they're they're trying to break through and like communicate some stuff as things are coming to light, uh, which creates its own challenges in in the long run. Um, yeah, yeah. It's at this point we we learn that like 
something something is going on here that we're not we're not suspecting right like <clears throat> the it's supposed to be like a private ceremony this ascension and the boy really wants to go down to it and because pike helped save him they they agree to like let pike come down and and watch the ceremony essentially and there's like a big parade through the street and they're gonna bring him into the into the cha- the, the sacred chamber or whatever but yeah but they put up some like distortion field so mm-hmm. no commun- we can't communicate from the surface to the ship we can't beam from the surface to the ship and like it's at this point like Una number one is kind of like hey talking to this elder in the brig and she and and he's like I don't want this I was trying to save my boy right he's my son right he's my I'm his biological and I yeah I took the boy I I tried to stop this and like I was responsible for this transport that was coming after them yeah yeah and so we're starting to kind of put the pieces together of of like what's happening here like why and but we're like well, why is the father trying to stop his the son from becoming this first servant yeah so we're we're in the courtyard and things are like by by everything we see it's all full of joy and jubilee and and whatnot and we make it to the cavern we make it to the the sacred area the where where the ascension's going to truly take place and before we see anything of like what this ascension is we we hear um we hear um Alora asking the young boy we see we we hear Alora asking the first servant so do you do you agree to do all this stuff willingly and you know without reservation essentially yeah okay cool sweet all right yeah but how old is did they say how old this boy was um, I don't know if I heard an age, but I'm, I'm guessing he's like got to be like seven or eight. Yeah, like the thing. Here's the thing: Th- does this boy understand what he's doing? And and that's the thing. They they like, and these your adults will will what's the word here? They will manipulate, convince them, convince themselves that that they're doing everything on the up and up. That everything they're doing is you know is is in the right like they're in the right but like this is manipulation at its finest here like this 100% as much as as much of a prodigy as this this child is like he's still a child his brain is not developed right and he doesn't understand you know do you give yourself willingly do you give yourself willingly this is a gift will you help our society our society needs you to do this like of what's the what's a child gonna say at that point if you keep saying this is a gift do you give yourself will you will you sacrifice will you will you be of service if you keep saying that like of course the child is gonna say yeah I give myself freely I I, I do this but like not understanding what that actually means right and it's not until after he agrees to all these things like he takes his oath or you know signs of the dotted line whatever that like the true bait and switch happens like we're like first off 
Why wasn't maintenance like thinking ahead like, you know, maybe we should take the thing out before Junior comes along? I'm just saying like, yeah, let's let's get the gurney out. Let's bring the dead body, by the way, a dead child's body. Like, let's let, yeah, let, let, let's just put on the gurney and bring it out as the as the replacements there. Yeah, and Come you on, see man. like there's 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 one moment where when the like the boy first sees it, he almost like gasps. He's like in shock. Like he had no idea what this was. Like he didn't know what he was. Yeah, I give myself willingly with joy and gratitude. But like what are you giving yourself to with joy and gratitude? You don't understand, you don't comprehend the full situation and you've been manipulated into this situation by adult the adults and the adults in the room. Right, like what we're what we're effectively doing as we see in just a moment in this as the scene is playing out is that we are turning him into a human battery. He is being hooked up into the matrix for the machine army to drain his battery to keep, you know, the machine city powered, basically. That's really what it boils down to. So good job, Neo. Good job. There's, this yeah, time and, you and can't unplug from the Matrix. You cannot. And it looks it looks like the boy finally walks into this thing willingly. It, it looks like that. But like he's been manipulated so much that I don't even think he understands what he's doing at this point. He just like you know he's he's basically brainwashed. But like. What would happen if at this moment the boy came in there and he saw the other dead child and he said, no, I don't give myself willingly to this. No joy, no gratitude. I I choose not to do this. What happens then? Do the adults force him into into the machine or do they like, okay, that's fine. We'll just go get somebody else. I was going to ask you the same thing. Like... Yeah, what does happen? Like, I mean, he knows the secret of of the planet now. Like, that the whole planet is essentially powered by a young child being hooked up into, like, I don't know, uh, fiber optic cables, basically. Mm-hmm. So, like, what do they do? Like, I mean, he, he's on top of a precipice, for crying out loud. They could have at least, you know, they could, you know, do like a 300 stomp and, like, kick him off the cliff and go find a replacement, I'm sure. But like, like, like what you were saying earlier, you didn't think it was actually a lottery. You think they chose this person in particular. Well, could they just go out and choose another child, or does there have to be something special? Does this, the child have to be like prepped somehow in order to be put into this machine? And let's say uh, this child said no right at this moment, and like. They've got a ticking clock here, right? They can't afford to leave this machine empty, right? You know, when we thought the first servant was dead, this allure was like, oh my God, the, our society will collapse. We're going to, our whole city is going to fall into the, like the lava surface of our planet. So like, we need to do this now. Like, would they have time to just, would they be able to just grab another person and shove them in or does is there prep here? I mean, if I were if I were a betting man, if I were just guessing, like, I mean, a battery is a battery is a battery, right? Like, you can you can work a battery 
so many different ways to, to do what you need to do, whether it's to power something or it's to create like a magnetic field. And even if it's like the battery is not fully charged, you can still get some use out of it. You can still get like a little bit of mileage out of the thing. So let's just say, let's just go like keep going down that path of like, okay, yeah, maybe the lottery is really like you've been voluntold, but we're going to tell everyone that's a lottery that's a high honor or whatever okay that's fine so first servant homie says no like forget it and he gets donkey stomped off the cliff okay fine so we we say you know like the gods or the whatever of the planet um have chosen tom over here okay like maybe maybe what we don't know about this planet is that there is some kind of like training process like you have to drink certain things eat certain things attend certain classes i don't know but the fact of the matter is there's there are raw resources within that child and i really hate even having this conversation this feels icky even talking about it, eric but like there's a raw resource there that could you know do something uh for that society in a pinch i would think like just hook yeah hook tom up into the chair Put the fiber optic lights. I mean, it's it'll only maybe get us like five years instead of ten years, but that's you know at least five years that we we can get as opposed to not get. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think I think you make a point. Like even if it doesn't run as efficiently, we could still get the the machine to work. You know, with with any Tom, Dick, or Harry that we grab. But I I think this society and they try to justify their actions like you know children you know children suffer in all societies but we don't look away here we acknowledge the sacrifice of this child you know that sacrifice is one of our key words in our in our motto here but like you've manipulated him so much like what if you're not able to finally manipulate somebody do you just go and do you just basically kidnap Tom off the street and shove him into this machine, right? And, like, can you justify your actions? At, can you still do the mental gymnastics to justify your actions at that point? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they would be able to because they would be, like, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Yeah, I've heard that somewhere before. Well, even, yeah, I think, I mean, Pike even asked, you know, like, what's it going to do to him? And they're like, we don't know. Machine needs the neural network of a child to function. Our founders designed it that way. We don't know why. We've hunted for centuries for alternatives and found nothing. It was the purpose of my research when we met. You know, will he suffer? Yes. We don't pretend otherwise. I mean, it, uh, let me, let me ask a potential, I guess this is a moral question. Would it be better to, say, think of the children, destroy the, the Iron Throne, and let, you know, Skyworld fall into the lava? I mean, yeah, like, what is the price of paradise? Are you willing to give up this, this paradise that you have? Right? I think a lot of people probably would not be willing to give up paradise because... If you live in an idyllic society, I would I would venture to believe that like you become used to the luxuries of it, 
right? And and that's why so many people who have power and who have these this all these grand things, you know, are willing to to do terrible things to hold on to it. Mm-hmm. Right? <clears throat> and and here's my other question, philosophically. I don't know if it's philosophically, but like does all of this planet, does all of this colony is every single person aware of where their paradise comes from that the first servant like is essentially a child sacrifice is everyone aware of that fact that's a great question dude or there's some people who just is it like is it a guarded secret and is like is that why the, do the people who find out is that why they left this hellhole right as this guard described it earlier to go live on this barely sustainable planet when they found out the truth and they just couldn't live with it anymore yeah yeah that's, that's a good point dude well I mean like the beginning like early early on in this episode you know we were we, we heard the piece about um, first servant is this holy figure so this might be like a stretch. I might be doing like a little bit of like gymnastics on this one, but if, if these children, you know, every so often are appointed as the first servant, then surely if, if this is like a, a reverential, like a spiritual type of leader for this society, I can't help but think that a majority of the society, whether they believe or not, have to have some kind of basic understanding of what the first servant experiences on their pilgrimage to ascension. If yeah, we want to even call like, that. The first servant is never seen again after their their pilgrimage, right? They they're a holy figure, but like they do this ascension ceremony and we never see them again. Right. Like why are we never seeing them again? Like what's going on? Like why why can't we ever see them? Do you think, hold on, so you know how, okay, so just a minute ago, I was, we were kind of talking about, like, can we just, you know, you know, like, use anyone in a pinch? What if, like, part of the the preparation for Ascension was fulfilling the science and the service aspect in order to migrate into the, the, the Ascension component of your role as First Servant, right? Like... Your part of your role is again. This is all hypothetical, right? That maybe like the science thing is like you're like with 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 children. Like there's like crazy amount of creativity. Like they're they're like they're not limiting themselves in the same way that like an adult would. I would say. So like maybe there's like this component of like this these children on this planet where it's like, yeah, like we're gonna like really take a deep deep dive into like the science of our society and like how we can better the scientific community cool check check the box here we go gold star service whatever that means you have to do some kind of like crazy big service something or another so maybe that's part of like this this transformation into fully occupying the role of first servant i don't know i'm just kind of spitballing here no i think i think you bring up good questions I don't have the answers to them. No, we're just fans. We just talk about this random stuff. We pick things apart. It's great. It's fun yeah. stuff. But 
Pike sees all this stuff happening, and he is gutted. He is gutted. Capital G, underlined, italicized, bold, period, gutted. He realizes he's helped. He, He feels like an accomplice in in basically the the murder is that's the way he would look at it of of a child of an innocent child mm-hmm. yeah and to which he's like you know the first chance i get i'm reporting this to starfleet and she's like why we're not we're not part of a we're not a federation world like you have no jurisdiction here um Maybe in the future you'll feel differently. Yeah, maybe in the future I'll feel different about murdering a child or being complicit in the murder of a child. No. Are you kidding me? What are you smoking, lady? And as soon as, like, the dampening field or the whatever field comes down, like, peace, see you never type of thing. Like, I can't, I can't help but wonder, like, all the things that he's thinking, feeling that he's experiencing. Like, I mean, of course he knows about like how his um, future death or, you know, the future ambiguous death is going to occur. But like, he just like, he's crazy about this lady. Like we, we we're, I mean, we're led to believe. And she's like, she doesn't even bat an eye about, about this. But like, I want, I don't want to get so engulfed into how we see it. Because that this is how we see it. Like we were talking about the Gorn, and like, are we are are we the bad guys, type of thing? Well, that that that's what I, that's what I was gonna say for like my my final recap, like you know my final thoughts about this episode. But like, you know, we I mean we as humans, us right, mm-hmm. us in the real world, not not humans in Star Trek, you know, we, we want to look at everything through our own lens and our own how we judge society. But, right. like, we as, like, Americans, we have our culture that's different from the culture of different countries, right? And we, we place our judgments on those other cultures, and they place their judgments on ours. But, like, who are we to place judgments on their culture? Who 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 are they to place judgments on our culture? One of them isn't necessarily right. One of them isn't necessarily wrong. And you know we're trained to sympathize with humans and the Federation and Starfleet in Star Trek because those are the quote unquote good guys, right? Mm-hmm. But like, I think one of the whole ideas is that like, who are we as Starfleet as the Federation? to judge other cultures like just because it's a different culture doesn't mean it's wrong right doesn't it's just different from ours so like we shouldn't pass judgments on other cultures and like that's essentially what the prime directive or general order one at this point is it's like we can't interfere this is their society their culture and we have no right to interfere it's the the thing that starfleet holds above everything else is don't interfere and we might look at it we might we might say this is a terrible thing to do basically sacrifice and murder a child but like if this society has said it's acceptable like you know i i 
like I'm saying, we like just watching it, this child is manipulated and doesn't understand what he's doing, but maybe maybe he does understand what he's doing and, and is giving himself willingly. So like who are we to judge at that point? And I think that's that's science fiction and Star Trek at its finest is getting us to ask these questions. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, one I think one final thing um, to at least talk about is Umbanga, um, just real quick, um, because of course, like we know, like there's this like terminal illness that his daughter is experiencing, and, and he keeps, you know, rematerial, rematerializing her, reading to her, even if it's like the same part of the story over and over again. Um, at one point, by the way, the first servant did create some kind of like hopscotch game there in sick bay for for the little girl to to play at least play for a little bit which was which was kind of nice but one thing that was really interesting in benga is the fact that they have this technology of this medical know-how of potential of theoretically being able to cure this thing that is ailing his daughter and we see a little bit of touch and go like no no, no i can't give it to you because you're not a member of our society type of thing it's really what it boils down to but then there's this like uh, turning over a new leaf that um, that Elder Gamal has, like, hey, by the way, let me look at some case notes that you have, so that I can at least kind of point you in the right direction from a theory perspective. Um, so I like the fact that there's like this hope of being able to develop a cure, even if it means not going to paradise to to you know enact the cure. How do you? Yeah. Which, you know, we've, we've been talking about, like, this moral dilemma, you know, as we see it as humans in the 21st century. But knowing that Pike is as distraught as he is, I'm wondering what you think about Mbenga potentially knowing what happened down there and how that may or may not impact his decision take his daughter and get cured what do you think about that well well i i was i'm reminded of of a voyager episode called nothing human i don't know if you're familiar with this episode where basically this like insectoid alien latches itself on to uh, balana torres and the doctor creates like an assistant and it's a cardassian you know medical doctor but it turns out that this cardassian medical doctor was like a uh, basically a war criminal that uh, so the Bajor- the Bajorans call him he was like your your Joseph Mengele type doctor and um, there was the debate do we use his research to help save Bolana's life and like you know what do we do and eventually the doctor decided decided to use it to save a life right and and that was the decision that the doctor there made um so yeah, it's like, do you use technology that comes from a planet where you know you don't agree with their methods, even if it could save a life? Like, I, I don't have the answer to that question. I, I think, I think it's a good question to ask, but I, I don't have the answer. Yeah. I mean, I can remember when my daughter was going through. Um, one, I'd say like a, a pretty traumatic thing here uh, a couple of years ago. And 
like nothing to me mattered at the time besides just taking care of my baby girl. And that was it. So, at the same time, like, I don't, I don't, I mean, part of me as a father is like, whatever it takes to take care of my girls, to take care of my kiddos, you know? But, like, being removed from, like, the, the emotional juice of that type of situation, like, I don't know if I'd want to, you know, go to a planet that does this sort of thing. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I might be able to live with it. I might. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it's a. It's one of those like. I don't know, like morally gray kind of things in a way. Like you can you can see it from both sides. I suppose. I don't know. I don't know. Any any final thoughts about about this episode before we we rate the thing? Uh, no, no. I think we've we've talked it through pretty good. Okay. All right, man. Well. Um, for all y'all in listener land, uh, as we move past our discussion and we go into the different evaluation components of this episode, let's tackle the Delta, where we look at the different divisions of Starfleet service and how well it is represented in this episode. Uh, command division, looking at leadership, leadership theory, and uh, things of that nature. Um, operations uh, division, looking at um, engineering, communications, um, security, um, logistics um, on the ship and just in general with our different officers and finally science for well you guessed it science so eric talk to me about the delta well i i feel like i've said it every episode that uh you know anson mount is crushing it right and i think we've given a a command delta to him like every episode um (sighs) excuse me part of me wants to hesitate here to give him a command delta because there were signs that things were not quite right before he figured out, before he, he learned the truth. And I think he was a little, he had blinders on, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, female, female blinders, right? It can happen. It happens, right? <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> yes, it does. So like, I'm, I'm hesitant because like, yeah, his 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 moral compass comes out at the end. But I think he could have pieced things together a little bit sooner had he not had his female blinders on. So I'm has I like he makes his stand at the end, but I'm just hesitant for to about his actions like throughout the episode leading up to it. <sighs> So I'm really struggling with that command one there in, in certain respects. Um, you know, I think I think Spock does a good job using his science, uh, like <clears throat> to, to his discussion with the child with the first servant and and you know, Spock figures out that um, you know, there's a signal that he's locked onto you know that that he knows about and he, he finds the first servant and uhura has some good science where she looks through the logs and sees that that the the elders scan them both and she figures out through science that the elder was responsible for the transport so i think you can find enough science 
in this episode to to give a science delta. Um, even if you want to say some of that medical stuff falls under the science aspect of it, I think I think you can give it there. Um, I mean, if you want to say operations engineering, if you want to put Uhura again in that by going through and deciphering the the data banks and figuring out the language, I think that also falls more into like the operations element. So I think you can find some stuff there. Um, so science for sure. Maybe maybe operation maybe engineering operations, and I just. I, I love Captain Pike. I think he's great in this episode, but part of me just doesn't want to doesn't want to heap too much on him because I think he made a few missteps in this episode. Sure. I mean, I would I would a hundred percent say that science and certainly the operations, like the red area, is definitely going to get get deltas for sure. The, this go around. I mean. We see we see Laan and uh, you know quote unquote training Uhura in this particular rotation on the ship, and it's not going well. But like we're we're still seeing her learn and like go through that. But remember, Uhura wears a red uniform, um, even as a cadet. So like she is part of the operations division, and she does show some top notch, um, you know, communications officer stuff. Like with deciphering, like the, like the the data chips, like the the syntax, all the things that we hear her going on about, hundred percent. Like I think that's like very clear cut. The thing about leadership that you and I both know, um, that a lot of us know that have been in leadership positions, is that you sometimes you do get blinded, like sometimes you don't see things as clearly as you want to, but even in those moments where things aren't that great, you still have to choose to act one way or the other, uh, even if it is reluctantly. So I'm willing to give Pike, not just because I love the dude, you know, love him as a captain, but I think this really shows like a human, like a human aspect to him as a captain um, that, yeah, he, he might have let some things carry on maybe longer than anticipated but in the end he still chose to do the uncomfortable which I think is a good mark of a leader in my opinion so I'm willing to give a command delta uh, without much issue to Pike this week Just, I mean yet we've, we've seen a very confident strong leader um, through the, the run of this particular series including season two of Discovery um, but I really I really like this this human kind of flawed I know we want like perfect captains, right? But like we really are seeing like a, a, a more human side of him in this particular episode, which I like. I like my captain Cisco flawed. I'm, I'm, you know. There we go. Okay, dude, <laughs> Cisco baby, let's go. All right. Well, um, well, with that, let's go on to uh, numerical rating. So on a scale of one to ten, one being a dumpster fire, ten being absolutely amazing. How do we rate this thing, Eric? I mean, I mean, I think this is like philosophical trek, almost at its finest, right here, right? It's mm-hmm. like it might it make might make people uncomfortable. And I know, I think you even said that at the beginning of recording this, like talking about this 
you know, kind of made you uncomfortable. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think, in fact, that's actually something good about this, that, like, ooh, this, this, does this question make you squirm a little bit? Does this, does this situation that is presented to you, like, make you, like, uncomfortable and, like, sit up in your chair and be like, ah... I think that I think that 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 is the mark of good good Trek good science fiction. Um, yeah, I I I really enjoyed this episode. Um, it's it's not one of those episodes that it's gonna it's not gonna be comfort food. Right? No, it's not gonna be. No, it's not gonna be. <laughs> it's it, like there are good episodes of Trek that you're like, I want to go watch that episode again. There are good episodes of Trek that I don't want to watch again. Right, this if that makes sense. Like, yes. yeah, this is a good episode of Trek that I don't necessarily want to watch all that because it's heavy. It, it's heavy stuff. Um, but it's it's really good. It like I I said, I said a lot of my my thoughts earlier. Like, who are we to pass judgment on their society? Like, our morals are different than their morals. Doesn't mean that one is right and one is wrong. Like, this is general order one. Don't interfere. So, I mean, I I, I, I don't want to, like, praise too high. Like, because I'm not sure that this is better than some of the episodes that we've had before. Some of, like, the top flight episodes for me that we've had before. Um, but I think it's, like it's on par with some of those those good episodes like like children of the comet is a really good episode and this i don't know if this is better than that but i think it's probably pretty close i don't know if it's worse than that like but they're also two different types of episodes oh yeah both star trek both star trek at their core just different types of star trek mm. and so because because of that i think i want to give it around the same rating that I gave Children of the Comet, which was like an 8.7. Okay. So you're going with an 8.7 then? Yeah. Okay. So this was really heavy. Like like we were just saying. Like this was really heavy and I did feel uncomfortable um, at, at different points. Like this had, I thought this had like a pretty decent flow and a pretty decent pace. Like it had really good content. And um, I've been saying this since day one of this particular show, you know, like sci-fi, especially good sci-fi like Star Trek is something that should get you to think. Should get you to consider things that maybe you hadn't considered before. And this really does it, man. Like this just, it, it man, it just... Once, once you hit go, like, it does not stop. Um, and to me, it just had, like, a very subtle, like, Stargate SG-1 kind of vibe to it this week. So. Yeah, there, there was definitely that episode of Stargate SG-1, a similar, like, thing with kids. Yeah. I definitely so, thought of that right away. <laughs> so, um, to me, this is, this is not a nine. Um, like I've been, I've been giving a lot of nines this season, which I'm very happy to be giving nines um, in Star Trek. By the way, um, I think I've been like over, maybe too generous at times. Anyway, um, I really like it. Um, 
like some of my other ones. So like, what was it? Like the series premiere was an eight eight. Uh, Children of the Comet, I gave it nine and a quarter. Ghost of Illyria, eight. Nine six five for Memento Mori. Um, Mori, sorry. Um, Spock Muck was a nine two. Man, I think even though it it made me squirm, I think I'm gonna have to give this thing just to be contrary, and I gotta be the positive one just to get under Eric's skin. I'm going to give this an 8.75. So, good stuff. Um, Personally, I don't think this is better than the the series premiere, which I gave it an 8.8. So, that's that's my other justification for giving it an 8.75. So, there we go. Okay. So, yeah, we're at an 8.7 and 8.75, which gives us, um, uh, without David's rating... Um, that's an 8.725. So, so there we go. Um, so speaking of David, like we said, you know, he's been in, in the, the shuttle pod, you know, floating somewhere, eating mashed potatoes or whatever he's doing. Um, hopefully we'll be able to all reunite aboard the station or aboard the Vigilant sometime in the near future. Um, but um, he does have a little transmission um, that he, that we have to uh, listen to. So uh, computer, play uh David's thoughts. Well, hello there, gentlemen. Uh, Hopefully you guys are both doing well. So I was, you know, attempting to clear out the shuttle pod from last week from Eric's big, uh, big adventure, solo adventure, and, uh, you know, to restock the bourbon and the mashed potatoes. But boy, oh boy, did he leave a mess in there. And then uh, all of a sudden I just find myself out in space don't know what happened. I mean, I'm not saying that I saw Eric in the corridor as I was going into the shuttle or whatever, but hey, I, I don't know. He's trying to push me out. He's trying he's, he's trying to take some titles or something away from me, but anyway. No, uh, sorry I couldn't be there with you, but I uh, did want to put a, a little bit of a thing together here for, for our episode. Um, overall, I actually really enjoyed kind of what we had here. Um, felt like a really long episode for whatever reason. I, I, I don't know why. It's like, you know, it's 50 minutes. I think that's kind of where we're living in general for this series. But, man, it, it felt long. Um, not in a bad way. You just really felt the, the length of it. Um, you know, I, I, I think that the, the story itself, this sort of moral dilemma that we find ourselves in, it, it, it's fairly reminiscent of what we talk about a lot, but it's it's kind of the um, I don't want to say the hypocrisy sometimes that Star Trek exposes, but you know we, we talk about like the needs of the the few effectively being uh, you know less than the needs of the many, right? We're 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 kind of uh, out there for the needs of the many, and in this case in the society they are taking one. Uh, you know, a child, unfortunately, and effectively, it seemed like powering their entire planet, which um, I wish they would have explained that a little further, to be honest with the episode. It's like, why exactly does this one child's brain, body, electrochemical, neural, whatever, somehow it powers the planet? Like, what, what would happen if you didn't have this ascension? Like, the planet just, what does it crumble? I mean... 
we, we did have a line here that it falls out of the sky. So, any, anyway, I mean, I, I, I kind of wish they would have gotten a little bit more sciency with that, like actually explained it. Um, heck, it would have even kind of been cool if you could have, uh, uh, like, provided a, a solution or something, but um, no, no such luck. Unfortunately, the kid gets, uh, gets hooked into the machine and has to suffer for, you know, and, and that's the other thing, for how long? Like, how long does the kid battery work? That's really morbid, but like, how long does does the child battery work? Because like, even the the last um, the the last kid who was plugged in in the machine, this machine was still like a kid. So I don't know. It, it's it's very creepy, and it does kind of pose that again that moral question. Like, if you could sacrifice one person to keep an entire you know, say planet prosperous, would you do it? And I think there are a lot of people that would. Um, and whereas like, you know, we have Pike's reaction being very negative towards this, man, it's, um, it, it's kind of those sort of little moral questions that, uh, I don't know. I really enjoy about, about Star Trek in general. Also in this episode, we really, we really kind of tried to, you know, check in with almost everybody. Even got like Sam Kirk back for uh, a minute <laughs> in the uh, in the uh, little cafeteria in the mess hall. Um, but you know, he heavy on Uhura, heavy on Singh, heavy on Mbanga, and then obviously Pike uh, was was pretty central in the story. Get a little bit of Spock doing some some you know science e stuff, but. Um, I guess sort of split it up, you know, Pike meeting like potentially an old little girlfriend here, having his, having his little, uh, you know, th this is the furtherance that, uh, it, we can't just call it, you know, it, oh, just being Kirk. Nah, it's just being Pike, you know, Pike, uh, Pike's just <laughs> doing his thing. Um, so, you know, he gets his little moment on the planet, eventually gets to see the entire process effectively for this planet as well. And in, in this case, he's, we're assuming the only non, you know, person of this planet to see this ritual and, of course, kind of goes a little nutty. Um, but then we also see another faction, an offshoot of this planet on another colony that is trying to stop uh, this particular um, procedure. And, uh, you know, kind of interesting to see that. And even the boy's father, towards the end, he's like, well, you know, hey, we're, I I'm going to, I'm going to split off. I'm going to go help them. You know, kind of uh, how many of these kids were, were harnessed in the machine and how many parents uh, didn't want that to happen. Um, you know, it's kind of kind of interesting there. So Pike's story, I think, is, uh, you know, it's actually really held up as well because he explains to this woman that, you know, I saw my death and it will come eventually. And it's possible that this planet has not only the sort of uh, potential cure for that, but also could have the cure for Mbanga's uh, daughter as well. And, uh, you know, the fact that they're not in the Federation, they did attempt when Pike was here as lieutenant. And now Pike's recommendation to the Federation has got to be negative. So, you know, at this point, you... It's it's broader too than just the planet because the broader implication is is that let's say 
But let's just say hypothetically the Federation was okay with potentially this this kid murder happening. The medical science that could be brought forward is is pretty unimaginable. You know, you could you could stop a ton of suffering. You know, Pike could potentially be healed after his accident, maybe. Um, although I think that the point of the prophecy is is that it plays on not only Pike's moral character and then also playing basically on the Federation, although we've seen the Federation, you know, work clandestinely to sort of get these sort of um, technologies as well, so you never know. Um, but also with Mbenga, you know, his daughter's still in the transporter buffer, even though we keep using that darn machine. Um, our, our, our boy, too, you know, he, he even uh, comes through and finds finds his daughter and you know plays a little hopscotch game with her which i thought was kind of cute you know he's a he's a very smart kid um extremely smart but uh but anyway there's a lot of implication and it's it's sad because you know i think pike in a way probably built up some hope he's like oh there could be a way out of it and then at the end he's making that decision to say no no, not only can I not support what they're doing here, I can't benefit potentially from effectively throwing away my own moral code. So that's that's highly respectable uh, for Pike. And we kind of end the, the entire episode with him, you know, having a whiskey, you know, just looking out the window and it's it's very pensive uh, feeling and you know, again, that it's it, it's a he- Pike, Pike's life is kind of heavy. <laughs> it's a heavy thing. Um, and then, you know, with uh, with Mbanga, we, we do have you know the, this uh, discovery that these uh, these folks have the whole what was it like subatomic kind of medicine, and uh, you know this again could potentially help his daughter and the father of our of our of our child here. You know, he's kind of like, uh, well, you know, I'll run you through the theory. You might be able to use it to help, so that's that's pretty hopeful for for Mbanga, Which uh, you know, there was even a part here where he's like reading the same thing over to his daughter, and he kind of explains like, you know, you're in a transporter buffer, and like sometimes I lose track, and it's it, it, that whole there there's there's a lot of just you know conflict in here, inner conflict that I, I think that they're doing really really well in the show. I respect it a lot, and then. The, the kind of like other storyline here with Uhura and her rotational kind of training with, with Singh, you know, Singh is showing a, a loyalty to more than number one here. Now, we obviously had the relationship built between her and the captain in the first episode, and then we were shown the relationship with her and, uh, and number one, and now we're seeing a relationship form with Uhura, which is really cool. Because Ahura at this, I mean, she, she's a, you know, she's basically a cadet. She's learning. And, um, you know, she's working hard, too. So she's not slacking. And that's, like, one of the things, like, you know, Singh brings all these uh, data chips from from the, the shuttle that had uh, attempted to abduct the boy in the beginning. And, you know, when Ahura comes back with, oh, okay, I did what you did. It's like, oh, or did what you told me to do. It's like, oh, yeah, you uh, you did the bare minimum. It's like, no, actually, I did blah, 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 And uh, so she's going above and beyond, which proves to Singh that it's like, okay, this is a serious person. Because that was another part, like, when we first were really meeting Ahura, she's like, 
I don't even know if I want to be here. Like, I don't know if this is a place for me. So it was really cool to, uh, to, to sort of have her, you know, working hard. And now the, the crew is going to be more behind her as well. So um, I guess real quick, uh, you, you know, as, as far as like deltas go, I think that the, the command, like there really isn't, isn't much more to say. Like Pike has still continued to make, you know, hard decisions, probably the right decisions, all the, the toughness that's on him. He's still continuing to reach out to, you know, the people around him to help make his decisions, but ultimately the command rests solely on him. I also got to give props to to Leon as well because she is you know taking Ahura under her wing she's taking that seriously there was even a part in the in the one little ship where you know Uhura goes out to touch the pants like no 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 you scan it first and this was something that Sam did in our musical episode and you know so Singh is like she is is actually teaching Ahura and and then Ahura is learning and that respect is being built and thusly, it, I think that those sort of things will make Singh a better officer as well. So, you know, I think that the commands there, as far as the science, you know, some of the the explanations of, of like the, the boys' implants and then some of our, you know, medical science in here is, is interesting. Um, engineering, though, I, I guess the only thing that I could potentially say is that the sort of tracing and the explanation from Uhura as to how you know, our in quotation bad guys, you know, our other colonists stole, you know, in, again, in quotation, stole the boy. Um, the, the explanation Ohura had where it's like, well, yeah, it was his father, you know, they did the scans and, you know, got the lock. So that, that, the explanations of how like, you know, the boy and his father were able to be transported without the enterprise actually doing it was good. And I also think some of the back and forth between Spock and our, and our kid here, um, was also pretty good. So I, I, I would probably give it a full sweep Delta rating as well. It continues to really touch on all of the classic Star Wars stuff that we want, um, which then kind of rolls into the rating. Like, you know, as I sit here in the shuttle pod with limited resources, I don't remember 100% about what all my ratings were. I, I don't necessarily think this was like my favorite episode, but it was a really tight, solid episode of Star Trek, you know, again, I'm liking, you know, Pike being a little bit more personable, you know, he, he's sharing things, he's, you know, joking around with Uhura a little bit in the, in the, uh, in the turbo lift. Um, we have Singh showing some different characteristics. We have Uhura, you know, kind of stepping into her own and, and, you know, into the character she will eventually be, or the person she will eventually be, uh, as we head into like the original series. And, you know, just the moral dilemma here, like it's a good, solid uh, Star Trek episode. It's just a good, solid Star Trek episode overall. So I, I think um, I think all things considered, I'm probably thinking like 8.5 for the rating. Highly enjoyable, classic Trek overall, really, really good stuff. Highlights the characters well and doesn't seem too busy but it was a very, it felt like a, a longer episode. So there's that. But anyway, those were the thoughts. Uh, well, hopefully, you know, you get this message over subspace and can come, uh, you know, pick up the shuttle. And, uh, you know, Captain, if, if you want to go ahead and investigate into, uh, 
into Lieutenant Commander Eric maybe and see if he pressed any buttons. If not, we might have a saboteur on board and we'll have, you know, I'll have to deal with them later. So please, please, please pick up the shuttle. Goodbye and good luck. All right. Thank you, David, for that. Um, so now that we've heard and we've given like our thoughts, we've given our ratings on this, um, Eric, let's go to the most important part of the show. The Twitter poll. Twitter poll. All right, Eric. So I got this idea. I got to say, like, I this wasn't wholly original. Um, but, you know, at one point of the ready room that was attached to this particular episode, they, they had this thing about uh, twist endings that they were kind of, like, highlighting um, between, you know, like the end of the interview and the quiz, you know, like the little that they do uh, yeah, at times. Yeah. So... It was, it was, they did like this little highlight reel of twist endings and they had listed off like five or six different ones. Um, and I, I went ahead and like, let's, let's just go with four of these because I can only do up to four on a Twitter poll. So here's the question. Which episode of Star Trek has the best twist ending? Which episode of Star Trek has the best twist ending? And when I say Star Trek, I'm talking like the whole like franchise, right? No, not just like TOS. So the options are the Corbomite Maneuver, Redemption Part One, In the Pale Moonlight, Course Oblivion. Oh man, okay. So so so, so my choices are the Corbomite Maneuver. Mm-hmm. All right. Redemption, Redemption Part One. Redemption Part One. In the Pale Moonlight. In the Pale Moonlight. Course Oblivion. Okay, so we're saying uh, the the Viserys is a little child, right? Or he looks like a little child. Is not the monster we thought him, and he's benevolent. We're talking the uh, commander Sela and the Romulans are involved with helping the Klingons. Like spoiler alerts for everybody, but whatever. Like these have all come out like a long time ago. Right, almost thirty um, years ago, by the way. Right, we're talking uh, in the pale. What like? I don't know if I really feel like in the pale moonlight is a twist ending, is it? I mean, like you know, like how. I think the reason it's probably on there is because of how morally upstanding Cisco is and like right. how he'll toe the line and he's talking to the camera the whole time and he's basically willing to do whatever it takes and he's like, yeah. I can live with it. I think that's the big twist. And then and then of course Oblivion, this wasn't the real Voyager crew after all, it was it was Demon Goop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the sh- the shocking one to me is is course oblivion because they're all demon goop and this this wasn't the actual ship that we were watching I think that's the one that stands out to me it's not gonna win this poll I think I think redemption one is probably gonna win this poll okay okay so what's your final answer then for the for this Re- Twitter poll redemption one but like my personal answer is course oblivion that's what I would have voted for. But I am guessing that Redemption One is the winner. Okay. All right. Let's let's go to the results, my dude. So coming in in last place with zero percent of the vote, 
No votes. Left out to dry. Nothing. No, nil. Nada. Redemption part one. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I got that wrong. I, I mean, okay. There we go. <laughs> I, I lost touch with the Twitterverse. You've been gone too long, man. You've been drinking too much whiskey into the shuttle pod. <laughs> That's right. Man. You need to switch back to Synthahol or something, I swear, man. All right. We have a two-way tie on this, this next one. With 25% of the vote for both of them, we have the Corbomite Maneuver and Course Oblivion, which means the winner with 50% of the vote was In the Pale Moonlight. Okay. So there you go. How about them apples, huh? Yeah. All right. Well, we'll definitely have to do the, uh, the Panic at the Disco album uh, for the next one, I swear. I'm shocked that no one voted for redemption. Like, out of the shadows steps Tasha Yar. What? Hold on, she's got a point here. So what's going on? Why does she look like... She's a Romulan. But how? It's weird. That is weird. All right, all right, all right. Well, there we go, Eric. Thank you, as always, for, for the conversation. Talking Trek. Talking whatever. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, man. So, all y'all in Listenerland, what'd you think? Did you like this episode? Did it make you feel a little uncomfortable? Did you like it? Did you love it? You want some more of it? How did you rate this? Would you give it an 8-something? Would you give it a 10, a 1, a 4, a 14-teen, 27, 37? What'd you say? I don't know, man. Let us know what you thought. Uh, we're on all the things, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at TRTVPod. You can connect with us there, as well as at TRTVPod.com. Um, if you want to send us your thoughts, uh, send us a note, anything like that, um, you can open up hailing frequencies and enter in coordinates to trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a voice-only transmission to 817-752-4757. There's a three-minute limit before we play tug-of-war with another ship, so please make it quick, because we don't want Uhura to miss the shot, you know what I'm saying? She's not giving away her shot. She's young, scrappy, and hungry, and anyway, that's Hamilton. Never mind. Finally, if you want to mail us something like, you know, like a random globe like a, a random you know light bright that's gonna you know help us transport when people think we're not transporting send it our way lone star station p.o box 2455 azel texas 76098 everyone thank you so much for tuning in and as always number two bold to go and make it so <laughs>